whenever David and I, I guess, had been married about two-ish years and we had our second child coming, we just were really disillusioned, I guess, with what marriage was supposed to look like. We had always thought that we were going to be awesome at it because of our experience before marriage of reading Theology of the Body and David being in seminary, and we knew that God was calling us to marriage, so it's like he's obviously going to make us superheroes at that. Were we arrogant? <laughs> Is that your question? Because that's, that's what I would say. <laughs> This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB about how real people live out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today we're talking about marriage, the reality versus the ideal. We're going to hear from four married couples who are in the thick of it. They've all been married between 10 and 20 years, they all have kids at home, and they all thought that because they knew theology, this marriage thing would be a breeze. This is Amy and Dustin Stute. I'm Dustin Stute. And I'm Amy Stute. And we've been married for 11 years. And we have three boys. Nine, six, and three. Jonah, Charlie, and Leo. And we live in Lafayette, Louisiana. Yep. Living the life. <laughs> Amy and I went to graduate school together. She was getting a master's in theology. So you would think that we'd be pretty prepared when we entered into it, I thought, man, surely we've got good jump on this. Fast forward four or five years, and I'm changing a diaper, and I don't want to change diaper, and I'm angry because I have to change a diaper, <laughs> and it stinks, and my kid's fighting me. He doesn't want me to change his diaper, and he's kicking me and his stuff all over the place. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how is this related to the odds of the body and how great Marriages, because right now, this is pretty awful, and I really kind of hate this. Marriage was giving Dustin a dose of humility. It made me realize at that moment I had a vision of my mom and my dad, who don't know a lick about theology. And I thought, you know, I'm just like a really married person in this sense that they're suffering, and everybody has to change a diaper, and nobody likes it. You know, <laughs> it's just an element to uh, marriage that it kind of humbles you and makes you feel like, I'm like the rest of the lot, and I've got to grow in virtue and learn to love with a generous heart and do the little things that no one would ever see with great love and, and generosity. Okay, but so many people manage to get and stay married that it can be tempting to believe that marriage can't be that hard. Human beings do it all the time. You had such expectations that this would be no problem. I could fly through that. But after, you know, a number of years and the burden of that and the pressure of it, it becomes thus overwhelming. It, it is a radical vocation. It is a beautiful vocation. But that's why it is a vocation, I think. Invariably, it calls you to love. Amy and Dustin are mentoring an engaged couple very like them who are preparing for marriage right now. It's kind of like looking through the looking glass, seeing ourselves uh, 11 or 12 years ago. They may be going into it with a bit of, you know, we don't need this. And... Because we I, felt some of that. We felt some of that when we did marriage prep. We knew a lot of the terms, like just dealing with family of origin issues and so mm -hmm. forth. They were very good, you know. I, I had been dealing with that stuff for years. Amy says she thinks it's good that even well-formed couples have to go through marriage prep in the church because they'll get some practical tools as well as, hopefully, a deeper understanding, even if they think they're already prepared. Because what I've seen now on this side of it is exactly what Dustin said, that you get sort of in the daily grind of it. 
and you're like, what does this have to do with asymmetrical fruitful reciprocity or whatever? But then at the same time, I think what we have that maybe our parents didn't have is we can stop and evaluate. We know what God's plan is for it. We have the terminology to talk about it. We have sort of the vision for it. And so we can stop and reflect on what that is in relation to where we are practically, and it works well. Dustin talks about the difference between knowledge and application. You cut your teeth on it when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, like anybody knows, when they study a thing, it's one thing to be dealing with the abstract and the conceptual, which can be very, very helpful. Those are ideals. And then there's the application of knowledge to real-life situations. And so we, we are very blessed to have a lot of the tools in our tool belt. However, when it comes down to the real life day-to-day, you've got to learn what all these things do and become fluent about your application. There's an art to marriage and parenting. It's not just a science, if that makes sense. It's not just about knowing things. But, man, there's a real way to make a thing and to build a house brick by brick. And it takes a lot of virtue. I'm so thankful for what we know and the basis of our relationship and the things that we study. But the application of it kind of determines the holiness. Of course, Amy did learn some valuable things in her education that she still wants to share with others. Something that's become more apparent to me since my education and in teaching is the anthropology of JP2's teaching and how vital that is, that when you see church teachings as just an ideal, there's this higher thing that's unrelated to me that I'm called to, well, then it seems like an unattainable thing. It seems like something that the church is asking you to do that's not related to who you are. But when you start with this anthropology, that this is what it means to be human and go from there, then it's uplifting. And I've become more certain of that, that that's the message that people need to hear is like, this is what it means to be human This is why we were created. And then the ideal doesn't seem foreign to who I am. It seems like, oh, well, this is what I'm called to because this is how I was created. And so then the the struggle then becomes worth it because it's a fulfillment of, of what I'm meant to be. When it comes to idealistic portraits of married life, social media can be dangerous. Or it can give everyone a chance to identify with the struggle. What I'm happy to see There's a movement of women and moms and people in the church, lay people, who are speaking about the ins and outs of daily life, the difficulties of marriage, alongside the fact that we're called to something really beautiful. And I love that. I kind of hope that I can be a part of that more because I think there are a lot of women maybe sitting in their house and they're in the midst of their piles of laundry and there are 10 kids running around and they're like, yeah, right. JP too. I love you too, but this is difficult and all those things. It's always good not to feel alone. Whenever we hear other people's stories of triumph in the struggle, it helps us to move forward as well. And it doesn't mean that we're not called to something great. It doesn't mean that there's an actual vision of of what we were created for. It just means that, you know, we're human and so we struggle along the way. Let's turn to the Murphys. Peter Murphy, father of six kids, live here in Bowie, Maryland. I'm the executive director for the Secretariat for Evangelization and Catechesis at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. As you can probably tell, I managed to catch Peter right before he got the flu. And I'm Katie Murphy, and I stay home with our six kids, and we have been married almost 17 years. Not only did Peter Murphy study theology, 
both Pete and Katie have master's degrees in counseling. So of course, they would be experts at communication, right? That's what they thought. When we were in marriage prep and meeting with the priest, I remember one meeting, like at the end of it, he's like, okay, next week we're going to talk about communication. And he, we're going to go through I statements and this and that. And I think he even gave us a, a paper. Yeah. Like, And I remember walking out of that meeting and looking at Pete and laughing going, okay, but we know this already. Like, we've studied this. We work with other people to do, <laughs> to do this. So like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. And then we went back that next week and sat down with him. And it was hard. Your feelings are directly involved. And so it is much harder. Even for us who've had that training, it's a constant, okay, wait, I need to stop and I need to think about my feelings and go through it. And we had to work at it. It, Just because we had our master's in counseling didn't mean Yeah, that's where human nature still comes up because it's a form of selflessness to do that. Yeah. And a vulnerability, like to say what hurts you. And so as soon as we're trying to work on it, it's like suddenly my pride comes up, my mm-hmm. selfishness comes up. And that's true for anybody, yeah. degree or no degree. Theology, counseling, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm still prideful and selfish. And so it becomes really hard to do it in the relationship, yeah. even though cognitively we knew it. To live it is really yeah. difficult. Sometimes you realize, man, I am so far short of the ideal. And if you're a little too scrupulous, or if you become too much beating down on yourself, it can be really hard. And so... You just learn humility through this relationship of saying, I am who I am, you know, before God, and he's, he'll change me in time, but I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. In the first year of marriage, Peter and Katie had to iron some things out, and this came as a bit of a surprise. I think being young, you naturally idealize things, and then you have to work through that and then really live in the reality of the situation. And the sense, too, that love conquers all. Oh, well, I love him so much. I can overlook this. Or like, oh, well, that will just... I, but I love him so much. And so this or that or I'll, I'll be different because I love yeah. him so much. When your eyes are truly open and you're in marriage and six months in here, wait, wait, wait a minute. I love him, but this isn't changing who I am or it's not changing the day-to-day life. And so I think that that is a process that you have to learn and sit down and pray together and talk about it and how yeah. and how to work those things out. It's kind of so. funny because probably early on, in our marriage, those would be harder things to work through. And after we've been married for a while, those are kind of things you just enjoy being with the other person. By this point, we kind of know each other's faults and what to expect and not expect. And it's just comfortable to be together. Now with six kids, we're not really together (laughs) quietly much. But then we really like to just be together, the two of us. But it's it's nice. We long for that as opposed to doing stuff and going out and seeing the world. and Just want to be with each other and be with our family. So it's kind of a very different take, too. Yeah. An early disagreement of the Murphys had to do with crackers. Yes, I do mean those little wafers that you eat with cheese. Pete would take crackers and he'd leave the box out, opened and out on the counter. Because I know I'm going to always get more. You don't just have one pound of crackers and cheese. You have some, you go watch TV, and you come back and get more. So it's just not efficient to put them away. But for me, like, I wanted them away. And so literally, like, that would be a huge issue for us. And we would get into disagreements about the crackers. It seems silly now, but for me at the beginning, like, it was a big thing. Like, well, I have asked you to do this, but yet this is now the fifth, sixth, seventh time that you left the crackers out. I think the lesson, at least I learned from that, 
and toothbrushes yeah. and toilet seats and all those things that lead to disagreements is just how much you say sorry in marriage. Yeah. I never thought I'd say sorry as much as I did. And I realized after just one year and two and three, it's like, wow, I need to say sorry even more. Yeah. And it's not anything bad. It's not bad to put the crackers away. It's not bad to leave them out. Yeah. It's not sinful either way. Yeah. But it's a preference. Yeah. And sometimes by my not doing it a time and a time and again, it actually leads to disrespecting her. So it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. to show her I really love her, I can take some time and put the crackers away. You know? so Or put the toilet seat down. Whatever it might be, that was hard. Not to die into self that I didn't think you'd have to make because it's not right or wrong. It's just the way to love somebody. You see, it wasn't about the crackers. The crackers became a sort of symbol of a lack of unity. I still don't always get why things have to be so organized. <laughs> We'll talk Although about that not, later. We'll talk about that Although later. they're not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the kids. Yeah, right. I don't but know. Even, it's very clear Well, thank you. But even though I still didn't, I didn't get it, I still need to perform that action. And then in time, I start to right. get it. And, I mean, it probably took you several times. So I'm respecting you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just crackers. But eventually, it sinks in. I'm not the yeah. sharpest tool in the <laughs> toolbox, so it took a while. But... That's just life is it takes yeah. a long time because it's not my experience. It's not my reality at all. And so my expectation was very different. But the reality is you have to live with the person you married. And that means I had to change some things about myself. And someday you'll have to change some things about yourself. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> no, no, you're perfect. <laughs> no, perfect. <laughs> this reminds me of something I read once in a book called By Love Refined which is a collection of letters that Alice von Hildebrand wrote to a young bride. She said that she told her husband, Dietrich, one time that it bothered her when he left the soap in a puddle of water. And from that day on, he made a point of drying the soap after he used it. Alice said that this small gesture moved her heart every time she thought of it. Soap isn't just soap. Crackers aren't just crackers. I think you really, in marriage, you really realize how selfish you are. And so as you go through marriage, there's really a more of a dying to yourself. And the beautiful thing of that is like, you're not only dying to yourself for the betterment of your spouse, but for the betterment of yourself, because ultimately you're opening yourself to more of what God wants for you. If I were to go back in time 25 years ago, if someone were to say, oh, Katie, in 25 years, you would be married with six kids, you'd have you'd be homeschooling them and two of them would be adopted, I would be laughing. But ultimately, I look at my life now, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, I love the life that we have. I truly feel that because of that, dying to yourself, you really open yourself more up to Christ. And that's what we're all called to do. And babies add a whole new dimension to married life. Again, that's one of those things we kind of have an ideal of what it looks like. You think it's going to be so wonderful. We'll just sit and cuddle the baby and just spend so much time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think with your first. And then yes. with our yeah. first and second, third, like they're very difficult births. births. Yeah. And so it's very traumatic and the C-sections involved. And so the recovery process is not what I was expecting. Oh, a birth. This was such a wonderful, peaceful time. But no, it's actually taking care of your spouse. It's taking care of the baby. It's being exhausted mm-hmm. because Katie can't even get out of bed. It's like being there for the baby all the time and, I remember thinking, I've never been this tired. Like, I feel literally delirious. That was a big adjustment. I just realized how many times I have expectations. Or even just hopes and dreams. Like, oh, this would be so nice if. 
you know, we'll just have quiet time with all of our six kids and just sit and all read quietly and pray the rosary beautifully. Oh. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you have to set those things aside and say, what's it really going to be like? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Two of them might be praying or, <laughs> but it, you just realize over time it creates a habit and it creates, you know, mm-hmm. virtues and characters. And so you just kind of trust in the Lord there, but it's hard to set aside that because you just want things to be so ideal. And, and sometimes our images in the church are very ideal. You see saints and everything's so pious and peaceful and, just not that way it's usually the hard things of life that make make us safe so what do you do about not measuring up to the ideal the ideal really is christ Mm -hmm. it goes back to the humility it goes back to dying to yourself the more i can let go of peter and just try to be christ then i'm moving towards that ideal and i don't have to worry about the specifics of marriage and marriage life and the different you know pieces if i can just be like him those things will fall in place. Yeah. And I don't even always know the answers because sometimes I always think, God, tell me the answers. And he usually doesn't. It's just a matter of working it out in the relationship and in the family. And that's really hard sometimes too because it's just totally trusting him to make these things work out because we want our timing to be our timing. We want things to happen the way we think we want them to happen. But when you let him unfold it, it's so much better. You know, It's just so much better. When I think of the ideal, it gets me <laughs> on my knees. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, Lord... The only way I'll know how you want this day to unfold, how you want our marriage to unfold, is if I'm connecting with you. And if I'm in prayer, praying every day, even if it's, you know, short periods of times, even if it's like in the middle of cleaning up the dishes after lunch, Lord, let me connect with you. Let me get my strength from you. Because ultimately, like, that's the only way our marriage will work. And that's the only way our family will work. It's through his strength and through his power that we can manage and get through the days. And sometimes, y'all, just keep your mouth shut. I mean, sometimes it's just saying nothing. That's usually the hardest part is seeing something that the other person's confided in you and they've fallen again or they're doing it again and just to say nothing. And then when you do say something, make sure it's the right time, it's using the right words, I statement's helpful, to just say it in a way that the person can receive it. Because that's hard. If it's something that they're struggling with and they've already shared with you to bring it up, but a lot of times it's just letting it go and just being there for the person and then suddenly they realize wow you still love me in my weakness and you know about it and i keep falling and yet you love me i don't get that like then you really feel the love of christ in that moment because it's like wow i don't understand this at all it's blowing me away and i think you're better at that than me sometimes mercy is just not saying something David and Kate Dawson found it hard to get on the same page spiritually. We had been married for a couple of years, just long enough for us to realize that we were terrible at this. And how hard we tried, we just could not get on the same page with the most important stuff. The two of us were very different. We would pray together. We'd go to adoration together. We'd pray the rosary together. But we were still like on opposite sides of a canyon trying to throw ropes to each other. Since an important aspect of marriage is discernment, this is a challenge. She had her spiritual experiences, I had mine, especially with the heavy stuff like should we be open to another child. And that December process became huge sources of division because we were trying to get on the same page but had obviously very strong feelings about it one way or the other. And I'd come to say, this is what I think God's telling me. And she'd be like, well, you can tell God. She'd come back like, well, this is what God's telling me. We had a deep, deep, like raw need to be on the same page spiritually. 
to have a united experience of God, it felt impossible. We just had no idea how to go about that. We were just taking shots in the dark. Let's hear about this from Kate's perspective. He says, I feel like God's calling us to be open to another baby, and I don't necessarily feel ready. I have this image of God and David being in some grand mansion, and the two of them are wearing their smoking jackets, and they're drinking their brandies in the drawing room, and I'm just the kitchen maid outside the door going, hey, guys, you know, can you tell me what you're talking about in there? So it was always a big struggle for me because I feel like something that really is difficult for us, and I don't think I'm just speaking for us, but when you get to that impasse, when you get to the point where you know you're not on the same page and you're frustrated with one another or you feel so distant, it feels a bit hopeless. I mean, you know, people say you get married and you'll never be lonely again. That's absolutely untrue. Sometimes some of the most lonely people are married people because we are supposed to be completely united to this other person and that is so difficult to do so you go to bed feeling like you're on opposite ends of this chasm praying together is hard even if you're married you know they actually did a study on this why don't couples pray together and they say because it's too intimate it's way too intimate and we're talking about couples who are in the 60s and 70s who've been married for 50 60 70 years there's this one guy who was interviewed in the newspaper he and his wife been married for 75 years and they asked him, you know, what's the secret to be married so long? And he said, you just share everything. We don't, we don't hold anything back. We share everything with each other. And they said, well, so do you pray together? And he said, oh, no, that's too personal. It's, it reveals that, like, there's a level of intimacy that praying together brings about that is fantastic if we're doing it, but there's a reason we don't. It's because it's too intimate. And jump into that is extremely difficult. And the second reason people gave is that we don't know what we're doing. And I don't care if we pray the rosary every day, if we go to daily mass, if we're in adoration every day. The truth of the matter is, with our spiritual lives, we don't know what we're doing. Nobody does. Because if we did, we'd have God in our pockets, and we'd have like a little secret code that we could punch in and get access to him. And he's not going to let that happen. So God's not going to be a magic eight ball that is going to allow us to, you know, somehow have him figured out. No matter who we are as a couple, no matter what our background is, just spending time with God for a few minutes every day is something that every single person is called to do. And we all want to do it, and sometimes we kind of think we're doing it. <laughs> but when we start actually taking account as to how often we're just sitting in God's presence, it's pretty rare. And for most of us who are proud of ourselves for our spiritual lives, we usually are proud of the few times that we do do that, and that kind of carries us into thinking that we're good at this. The Dawsons belong to a lay movement called Domestic Church, and they credit it for helping them grow in a lot of ways, especially in prayer. They've also realized that they aren't alone not a married person on earth who knows how to do this perfectly. Because when we think we're doing it perfectly, our spouses will tell us very differently. Truth be told, I still thought I was pretty unselfish. And then I got married. And then I had kids. And then I saw just how incredibly selfish I am. And I keep thinking, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Kate talks about the reality of family life, specifically as a woman. You feel like you're losing your identity. And you're going, who am I? Am I nothing more than this woman who cooks for and cleans up after this man who leaves his shoes and socks everywhere and, and all I'm doing is changing diapers and running the carpool line and it begins to feel like you've lost your identity and you are alone in it, that there's nobody there with you. Catholics can sometimes have an overly spiritualized idea of what marriage will be like. One of the things that we were facing early on and that was so difficult for both of us early on in our marriage was this recognition that this sacrament didn't give us this spiritual mind meld. And we kind of both expected that that was going to happen kind of subconsciously, you know, and it didn't. God didn't 
give us both this united will and this united perspective and subjectivity that I still have my capital I and she has her capital I. And those are two very different things. And I cannot choose for her that no matter how strongly I feel about something or believe in something or trust or have prayed about it, that that's not going to do that for her as well, that I can't transfer my will and my feelings about this and passion towards her. I can't do that, that I've got to continue to kind of pursue her and to provide the freedom and the opportunity and the safety or whatever to be able to come to her own decisions on things, and she's got to do the same for me. And as a married couple, when you're trying to accomplish things, especially when you got deadlines and the kids are in the mix, it's a very difficult reality. When the kids come along, you realize, like, that's not going to change because these kids have their own capital I and their own will, and they can care less about your passions or whatever. They don't understand them because they're a little bitty. It's a source of depression. It's a source of discouragement that I am now in my vocation to the person to whom I belong, and we're on totally different pages. But at the same time, like, God's not fixing that, quote, unquote. And he doesn't want to. He wants us to have our own will and our own subjectivity and our own perspective. David and Kate both realized that they had to prioritize their time alone with God and that their personal prayer life would make it possible to live their marriage better. I still need to be putting myself in the presence of a God who knows me more than any human being ever could. Kate still has to be putting herself in the presence of a God who can speak to her love in a way that I never could. last couple in this episode is the Hartfields. Hi, this is Mark Hartfield, Vice President of Paradises Day. And what is Paradises Day? Paradises Day is a nonprofit religious organization, and we are all about helping families discover the superabundance of God. Uh, my name is Katie Hartfield, and I'm originally from Colorado, but I've lived in the great state of Texas for the last 13 years. We live here with our three daughters. Maria, Claire, and Lucy. I swear I did not put out a call for only couples where the woman's name is Katie. I don't know how it happened. Katie and Mark met in college at Steubenville. Katie was impressed with Mark's faith and certain that he was the man that she was called to marry. But again, that doesn't make everything rosy. People say all the time marriage is really hard and marriage takes work and things like that. And I think it's really true that marriage does take work. But I think what's been more true for us and in our experience has been not so much that marriage is really hard, but that life is really hard. And mm. your marriage and the quality of your marriage can really make or break that in your life. I have definitely experienced profoundly God's presence and his unconditional love through my husband a million times over in the last 13 years, even when it's it's really difficult. Mark talks about what the word ideal means. An ideal drives actions. And, and I've had many people, even family members at times say, well, that's just an ideal, Mark. You got to live in the real world. And I don't buy that. I strongly believe that if we want to call them ideals, these thoughts that we have and aspirations, and a lot of times spiritual aspirations that we have, they drive our actions. They give meaning to our day-to-day actions, and that's what's so beautiful about being Catholic and Catholic marriage and even suffering and making sense of it. All this stuff can become redemptive and lead us to holiness, and that's the messy stuff of marriage and, and life is real. It's very real, and precisely because it's real and hard is why it's, it's a perfect pathway to holiness. Because in case the previous episodes of Made for Love haven't been clear enough yet for you, 
The cross is part of the Christian life. It's not optional. And if you're married, sometimes your spouse is part of your cross. We don't have to go off to Africa or to be missionaries. Once you're married, I mean, all that stuff is presented to you in your daily life. And so you have the ability to grow in holiness just right there in your home every day. We're growing out of selfishness into love. So to the extent that we do that, that's our purification. And whether we do that on earth or in purgatory, like we will be purged. Everything else passes away except for love. And so we become pure love. Marriage and the home is the perfect way to enter into that journey with the ideal of love, of becoming love and walking with our spouse and with our family to heaven. So in conclusion, you aren't perfect. Your spouse is not perfect, but your marriage can be a beautiful witness of God's love despite these two facts. Have mercy on yourself, your spouse, and your children, and you'll realize a different sort of ideal, one that is real. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.